Uh, in Numbers chapter 13, we find the Israelites, they have been freed from their slavery in Egypt. They are now in the wilderness and they have been sent as uh, leaders, uh, 12 spies, each as a representative, a leader of their uh, community to go out and spy out the promised land, Canaan, that God has for them. And they go and spy it out and verse 20 or verse 26 is what they report back to Moses when they, when they come back. And so the Bible says this, it says, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They stole some fruit, y'all. <laughs> they gave Moses this account. He said, we went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the giants, so the Amalekites, they live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said... The land we explore devours those things living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We ask you, God, over these next moments that we have together, that you would open our eyes to see not just who you are, but who we are. We thank you, God, that you have, again, like we've been talking about for so many weeks, you've called us to greatness because you are great. And because you are great, you want a great people. Help us to see that we are made in your image. And when we receive Jesus into our lives, when you look at us, you don't see us in our sin, you see us in your son. And we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. This is an interesting story, pretty familiar to a lot of people in the room, but not everyone knows it well. So I'm not gonna assume you know it and just kind of glare over it and jump right into it. It's an interesting story because this is kind of a repetitive cycle in the life of Israel. God has performed great miracles, brought them out of years and years, hundreds of years of bondage. They've seen him do amazing things. He's parted waters for them. He has He has. He has led them with a pillar of fire and a cloud. He has done unbelievable things for them. Have you ever found yourself in a place where even though God has done amazing things for you, you just, at the point you're at right now, it's hard to remember all of the good stuff he did because of the thing that's facing you seems so big now. 
It's hard, isn't it? And it, it's, it'd be one thing for us to just look at them and make fun of them, but this seems to be repetitive in our lives. We can forget very quickly how amazing God has been throughout the history of our lives. Come on, if anybody in the room was honest, we shouldn't even be in this room right now. He's been way too good to us. So they all go and see the same thing. They see the exact same things. But they didn't see themselves the same way. See, Joshua and Caleb saw themselves differently than the other 10 who brought an evil report. So they saw the same thing, they just didn't see themselves the same way. And when they, (laughs) this is the interesting thing about the report they bring back, the Bible says they brought back an evil report. They didn't say they brought back a lie. I mean, you read the story, where's the lie? There's no lie, they just brought back an evil report. And sometimes we have to learn to fight the devil even when he uses the truth against us. (laughs) Because he doesn't always lie to us. Sometimes when he accuses you, he's dead on with his accusation. Okay, nobody wants to admit that the devil sometimes tells the truth. First of all, let's, let's talk about the wilderness for a second because the wilderness was never a part of God's conversation with Moses or the people. So when God talks to Moses about what he's gonna do and he asks Moses to go and speak up for his people and to bring his people out, he never talks to Moses about a 40-year period in the wilderness. He never talks about that because... This might hurt some of you theologically today. It might hurt your feelings a little bit. But the wilderness is never God's plan. It's always our fault. When when God talked to Moses, he talked to Moses about the promise. He never said, hey, Moses, my plan is I'm going to deliver you, but I'm going to Spend 40 years in the wilderness killing a bunch of you. And and as a matter of fact, the original crew that comes out of here is not even going to make it in. It's going to be their kids. No, he never says that. His plan was Canaan. The wilderness was their fault. Oh, man. Can we talk a minute about the sovereign will of God and the preferred will of God? Because I think we need to understand there's a difference. The sovereign will of God is where God does stuff and he says, I don't even need you to participate. I don't care if you like this. I don't care if you're on board with this. I have decided what I'm gonna do and you can't stop this. That's the sovereign will of God. When you read the book of Revelation and how all of this comes to an end, this is the sovereign will of God. There is nothing any kingdom on earth can do to stop what God is going to do. And you can look at the world right now and say it's all out of order, but God looks at it and says, no, it's right in line with where I want it to be. The outcome will happen how I said it's gonna happen. So we, 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 we gotta understand there's a difference between the sovereign will of God, which doesn't require our participation, and the preferred will of God, which requires our participation. 1 Timothy 2 and 4, for instance, is the preferred will of God. 1 Timothy 2 and 4, he says God wants all people to be saved 
and that no one would perish, but that all would come to the knowledge of the truth. Is everybody in the world saved? So does God always get what he wants? Listen to you, thinking with your brains at 10.15 in the morning. Some of you haven't even had coffee. It's a miracle. <laughs> so God wills that all men be saved, the Bible says. But all men aren't because salvation is the preferred will of God. The preferred will of God is what God wants for you to experience. It's what God prefers that you would possess, but it requires your participation. God says, I want you to have it, and I'll help you, but I will not do it for you. I want you to have it. I'll help you, but I will not do it for you. God Give me more peace. God says, that's not my choice. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. God, zap me with more peace. <laughs> that's not how I work. Philippians 4 and 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God, give me more patience. That's not my choice. When you ask for patience, I don't zap you with patience. When you ask for patience, I give you a child. Can the parents in the room say, hey, some of you never said amen in your life, and you're like, hey, to the men. <laughs> give me Give me happiness. It's not my choice. Make me fulfilled. It's not my choice. Uh, make me prosper. It's not my choice. The Bible says I give you the power to get wealth and to prosper. I think we, I think we misunderstand God sometimes, and that leads to so much of our frustration with God. I think we can read the story and, and hear what God says, and in the promise, there's a little detail in the promise that can trip us up sometimes. So when God makes the promise, he says, I'm taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey. <laughs> when, they, when they got there, they found out there aren't rivers of milk and waterfalls of honey. No, <laughs> when he says, I'm taking you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey, that means there's going to be a lot of cattle there and a lot of bees there. <laughs> you got to milk that cow and you got to deal with those bees. And by the way, bees sting. 
I think we misunderstand God is we're just supposed to sit there and say, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and stuff just falls out of the sky. No, that's not God, how God works. He says, I've got a land and it flows with milk and honey, but you're going to have to work the cattle and you're going to have to get the bee from the honey. We don't want to do that because bees sting and cows stink. <laughs> Think, think about this, for instance. I'm, and please don't misunderstand. When I talk to you about the promises of God and things that God wants you to possess, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about salvation as the free gift that, that, yes, you have to participate in the fact that you have to express faith in Christ. But, but watch this. You can be forgiven and still not take possession. You, you can be saved, but not take possession of your salvation. In other words, you can be saved and not really use it, know it, feel it. How many people in the room feel saved 24-7? Am I unsaved when I don't feel it? No, I'm kept because he keeps me. I've told you this before. The Bible talks about us as sheep. The idea that you are holding on to God is ludicrous. You are sheep. You don't have hands. You have hooves. You weren't built to hold on to him. You were made to be held by him. So when I confess him as Lord, I receive the gift of salvation, but sometimes I, I don't take possession of it. He takes possession of me, but very Few people actually take possession of him. Numbers 14, 20 through 23 proves this to us. After they bring this bad report and they just have a, a time of just moping and whining and crying about it, God gets so mad, he's like, Moses, I'm just gonna take them out right now. Moses is like, no, he intercedes. This is a picture of what Jesus does for us. Moses intercedes, he intervenes, and God says, okay, Moses, because I love you and, and I, I have confidence in you, he says, I forgive them, but not one of them is gonna see Canaan. Not one of them is gonna go in. He, watch this, you can be forgiven and not possess Canaan. Because possessing Canaan comes down to not who God is, but how I see me. Okay. Remember, everything in their life turns when they get back and they say about themselves, we are what? Grasshoppers. In our eyes, and we are grasshoppers in their eyes. Caleb speaks up. Caleb says, no, no, no. He goes, let's do this now for we are. Notice this. Nobody in this situation is doubting God. Nobody's like, God can't. Nobody's saying God won't. Nobody's saying God isn't strong enough. 
Nobody's saying God doesn't have the power to do this. Nobody is even saying God has the power to do this because when Caleb speaks up, he doesn't say, hey, let's go do this because God can. He says, no, let's go do this because we can. I'm talking to some people this morning who don't have a problem seeing the greatness of God. They have a problem seeing the greatness of God in themselves. See, my problem has really never been in my life believing that God is who he said he is. My problem has been believing that I am who God says I am. So, Luke 15, for instance, when the prodigal returns home. The Bible says that he, that he, before he comes home, he comes to himself. He's getting ready to eat some, some pig's food. He really wants it. And he, you know what's interesting in that story in Luke 15? The Bible says that he wanted to eat the pig's food. He says, but nobody would give him anything. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're so desperate for stuff but you can't seem to get anything because nobody will help you. And, and this is supposed to be the place where you come to yourself. <laughs> so he, he wakes up and the Bible says, nobody will help me. He says, but my father, he's a good guy. And maybe when I get back, if I go back, maybe he'll receive me as a servant. So he says, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back. Because to be a servant of God is better to be a servant of whatever he's been serving that's got him ready to eat pig's food. So he says, I, I, I'd rather just be a servant in my dad's house. So he starts to head back, and as he gets close to home, the Bible says the father sees him afar off, and the father starts running to him. And I love this because... The son has this speech prepared and he's, he's gonna kinda, kinda try to work his dad and, and win him over and, and he doesn't even get his speech out. He doesn't even get, uh, I, you know, I'm sorry out. Repentance is not about the words that come out of your mouth. It's about the direction your life is headed in. <laughs> I'm not, I, I don't repent because I said I'm sorry. I repent when I start back home. That's repentance. And so the father knew he was already, he was already sorry because he had humbled himself and he was headed home. So the father doesn't need him. To, see, this is what I love about the dad. The dad doesn't go, hey, where you been? What'd you do? How many people did you sleep with? How much money did you spend on drugs? Did you just do marijuana? Or did you do the heroin? You know? The questions that we're all consumed with when people come back. How, how, how Pastor, how long, how, what'd they do? What, what, because we have a system that we built up in our own minds of how long it should take someone to be restored into the community, and, and God doesn't. <laughs> the father doesn't even ask him where he's been, what he's done, how long he had been doing it. He didn't even say, do you have any money left? 
the father immediately begins to restore what the boy needed most, his identity. He reminded him of who he was. You are not a servant, you are my son. And I think for many of us, we're just happy to be God's servant, but God doesn't call us servants, God calls us sons and daughters. worthy to be son. I'm a servant. <laughs> wow. It's how I see me. Let, me. let me talk a little bit about how we see ourselves really quick. It, the Bible's an interesting book because the Bible in the New Testament, especially when it talks about someone, it, it talks about them, it identifies them with their issue. I don't know if you've seen this, but, but like you read a story, and the top says, blind Bartimaeus. Or the woman with the issue of blood. Or the prodigal son. But she doesn't have that issue of blood anymore. She got healed. Bartimaeus isn't blind anymore. The prodigal returned home. Right? But just like humans do, we tend to define ourselves by our lowest moment. <laughs> and so what we do is, is, is we lower our purpose to the level of our worst moment. Can I tell you this morning, your life is defined by one moment. But it's not defined by your worst moment. It's defined by God's best moment. Your life is defined by the fact that Jesus gave his life for you, died for you, rose from the dead for you, ascended into heaven for you, and is coming back for you. Yes, your life is defined by one moment, but not your worst. God's best. <laughs> and your value was set when the Lamb of God shed his blood for you and set you free. How I... See me, we're just, Rob, you don't understand. I don't have the education. Rob, you don't understand. I don't come from the right background. Rob, you don't understand. I don't have the right skin tone. Rob, you don't understand. I'm, I'm not the right gender. Rob, you, you don't get it. You stop lowering your purpose to a moment. Stop defining your life by a moment. Stop assessing your value by your worst moment. Rob, Rob you don't understand. I, I thought God could use me, but I've, I've been divorced. Rob, I, I thought God could use me, but, but Rob, my children aren't serving God. Rob, I thought God could use me. Oh. Stop calling yourself what you did and call and start calling yourself what he done <laughs> that's not proper english some of you're like i don't understand what you just said it's cuz you're not as educated as me you're just you're not on my level just keep praying about it You'll, 
you'll start talking like a hick someday too. <laughs> There's a man in the Bible named Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah um, 1, uh, verses six through seven, Jeremiah, God's calling Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, God, he's like, you don't get it, God. He's like, um, I don't know how to speak. You're asking me to speak, but I don't know how to do that. <laughs> and, and, and also, by the way, I'm too young. Both of those things were true. But look at, listen to God's response. The Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. God doesn't say, that's a lie. You're, you're you know, you're, you're an old soul, Jeremiah. No, he doesn't say that. He says, don't say that. No, it's true. But stop saying it. Goodness gracious. Your view of you is limited. And what happens is your word are feeding your insecurity. And your insecurity is limiting your ability. I have a problem with how they saw themselves, but my bigger issue is that they projected how they saw themselves on to the people of Canaan and didn't even have a conversation with them about it. Like they said, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight too. Nowhere in the Bible does it say they talked to the people of Canaan and the people of Canaan said, y'all look like grasshoppers. <laughs> this is the epitome of projection. I project onto you how I feel about me. This is more dangerous than just seeing yourself incorrectly. This is, this is the place that you get to where, where it's, it's, it's almost impossible to see yourself correctly because now, now do you not only see yourself incorrectly, now you think everybody else sees you the same way you see yourself. So there's nothing anyone can say or do to change how you feel about you because you have already made up your mind about how they feel. They don't even have to tell you. See, Numbers 13, 33 says, we, we saw those giants, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Sometimes a person rejecting you is not that person rejecting you it's them rejecting themselves. Sometimes people aren't angry with you, they're angry with themselves. Listen to me, follower of Jesus. You, you have to stop giving people who didn't create you the power to define you. You're gonna wrestle with how you feel about you for the rest of your life. 
Someone said the other day, I heard someone say, it took me a moment to accept Jesus. It's taken me a lifetime to accept me. <laughs> You're gonna wrestle with how you feel about you the rest of your life, but you have to stop projecting how you feel about you onto other people, assuming that they feel about you the way you feel about you. In John chapter one, verse 46, um, Philip has already met Jesus and he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Bible says that Philip runs to get his brother, uh, Nathaniel. And uh, <laughs> when he gets to Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, I've seen the Messiah. His name is Jesus he comes from Nazareth, and his father is Joseph. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there? Philip says, I guess you'll have to come and see. Can anything good come from there? Apparently, Nazareth has a reputation for nothing good coming out of there. That's interesting because when Jesus, the Bible talks about Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, the Bible says, goes back to Nazareth. And he's trying to minister to the people of Nazareth. And the Bible says when he gets there in Matthew 13, they reject Jesus. First of all, when he starts to preach and teach and do miracles, they're amazed, the Bible says. The Bible says they hear him teach, they can't, even, they can't believe it. They see what he's doing, they're amazed at his miracles. And then they start to, oh, he look, he looks familiar. And that looks like his, his brother's over there. And is it, oh, that's, that's G, that's G, he's from where we're from. That's, that's Joseph's kid. That's Mary's boy. Oh, we know him. And then from that point on, the Bible says they were offended at him and they could not receive from him. In reality, listen to me, they weren't rejecting Jesus. They were rejecting themselves. This was, they, they, they weren't questioning whether or not he was powerful preacher or he could do miracles but he was limited in his ability to do miracles there. Why? Because they, they could not believe that anything good could come from where they came from. Even with the proof all around, they still couldn't believe it. There's no way that he could do all of that coming from Nazareth because they have been limited by their surroundings to the point where they start to believe the report about Nazareth themselves. So when Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of there? Clearly not. Clearly not. Rob, I, I don't have a problem 
with how I see God. I have a problem with how I see me. I heard someone say years ago, they said, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And sometimes the way we see God is not a reflection of who God has revealed himself to be. It's a reflection of who we believe we are. If you believe you are worthless, then you will believe that God makes mistakes. And that's an improper theology about God. If you believe you aren't valuable, then, or if you believe that you were an accident, then you'll believe that God has accidents. I'm just, I'm not even, I'm not, my parents didn't plan me. I wasn't. The way you are thinking about you is affecting how you see God. And, And some people are like, man, if you could just see God better, you could see yourself better. But I don't know if that works for everybody. Because God has revealed himself to be who he is. The Bible clearly defines who God is, but for some reason, we still can't believe that we can see the miracles all around us, but we're from Nazareth. I can see God blessing everybody, and I can see that God's good, but I'm from Nazareth. So because because I'm from Nazareth, it's affecting how I see God, even though God has revealed himself to be powerful I can't see him that way because I see me. (laughs) So our view of God really is shaped mostly by how we see ourselves. And the saddest part about this story, church, is that They go in and they look at the land and they come back and they're freaking out over the giants. The giants this and they're so big and the city's so fortified and the God, we're so small to them and they're so big. And And they ended up dying, but they didn't die because any giants killed them. They died because the grasshopper killed them. Your biggest problem is not the giants that you face in your life. Your biggest issue is going to be the grasshopper you see in yourself. And a lot of you are out here dying in these streets, not because the giants are so big, but because you see yourself so small. Remember Caleb silenced the people and he goes, hey, let's go right now. He said, for we are. We are. He didn't say God is. He said we are. Man, this has been messing with me. Because I... just always thought, man, if I could just see God accurately, I could see myself accurately. But my view of God is not shaped by how God has revealed himself. Jesus revealed himself to the Nazarites to be full of power and a miracle worker. 
they couldn't receive and take possession of that because they saw themselves as from Nazareth. So they weren't really rejecting him, they were rejecting themselves. <laughs> Giants are a funny thing because they're supposed to be intimidating but not one of them wins in scripture. And the only one we really get to hear a whole lot from is just all talk. Like David throws a rock at this dude and kills him. He's just running his mouth and gets hit by a rock and he's like, that's it. Giants are supposed to be imposing and intimidating and an obstacle and an issue to overcome. They, Remember, I told you, when God talked to the Israelites about Canaan, he didn't talk to them about the wilderness, and he did not talk to them about giants. Because what seems like an obstacle to you is really not the obstacle. If it was an issue, God would have mentioned it. God would have been like, hey, I'm taking you to this land flowing with cows and bees. And when you... <laughs> When you get there, heads up, there's gonna be giants everywhere. Sorry about that. <laughs> here's, here's why God doesn't mention the giants, because they don't matter. They're inconsequential. <laughs> if they mattered, he would have talked about them. But God just believes. What, what is 1 John 4 and 4 says? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The giant is never an obstacle because there's someone always bigger than what's ever in, in me. Greater is he that is in me than whatever you're facing. Greater is he. That is in me. But Robert, you don't understand. It's really tall. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, we got to give God some praise right now. Because he's calling us to greater. He's calling us to greater. <laughs> Stay standing if you would. God doesn't mention these giants because they don't matter. God doesn't mention the fortified walls and cities because they don't matter. If God doesn't mention the walls, that must mean that God knows how the walls fall. So I simply came to tell you, and it took me 40 minutes to do this. But I simply came to tell you that your biggest fight right now is not outside of you. Your biggest fight is in you. The giants never laid a hand on the people of God. As a matter of fact, the giants were so inconsequential that an 85-year-old Caleb, the Bible said he was old, he was old, and he got to the promise, and jo Joshua goes, you still want 
that place, you know there's giants up there. He said, bro, I'm just as strong as I've ever been. As a matter of fact, it, it doesn't require a whole lot to defeat the giants, but it took a whole lot to defeat the grasshopper on the inside of me. Some of you need to give God some praise because you are here right now. And you might feel like it's taken you a long time to get here. But your greatest victory was not the victories outside of you. The greatest victory you had was overcoming the grasshopper on the inside of you. Come on, is there anybody here today who would say, thank God that you're helping me overcome the way I see me? I got to see me. Father in Jesus, and we thank you today. That there is nothing outside of me that is greater than who is in me. God, help me to stop with the comparison. Help me to stop seeing large things as a threat. Help me to stop seeing difficult things as a threat to my purpose. All it does is get me caught up in comparison. They're giants, I'm a grasshopper. They're big, I'm small. It's like Legos. You get a box of Legos, and on the outside it shows you a picture of what is possible if you put those pieces together. The problem with us when we struggle with comparison is we look at somebody else's box and we try to build what's on their box with our pieces. But I can't, I can't build what's on your box. I can't build what God put in your hand. I, I can't build with what you have. I can't get your results because I don't have what you, I have what I have and what I have is enough. It's enough to complete the purpose and the plan, the picture that God put on the front of my life. It's enough for me to complete the purpose that he has for me. It's enough for me to run my race and finish my race. What I have in you and who is in me is enough. And I thank you for that today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this room today and you say, Rob, I'm like the prodigal and I need to make my way home. I've, I've been looking at myself all wrong. I have lowered my purpose to my worst moment. And I wanna raise my purpose back up to God's best moment. I wanna raise the standard back up for my life. I'm gonna stop living on a level God never intended for me to live on. God never intended for us to live in the wilderness. The wilderness was not God's plan. The wilderness was my choice. And I make the choice today to believe God is who he says he is and that I am who he says I am. Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God. Paul told Timothy, he said, be strong in your grace. Be strong, whatever, whatever you have, 
you better be strong in it. Whatever God's deposited in you, you better be strong in it. Whatever pieces God has put inside of you, you better be strong in it. You need to know who you are by the grace of God. Not who you are by your mistakes, not who you are by your past. You're like, God, I saw the picture, but you didn't show me the divorce. God, I saw, I saw the picture, but you didn't show me my kids struggling like this. God, I saw the picture, but you didn't show me losing my job. God, I saw the picture, but you didn't show me that I would fail this much. God said, if I, if, if I wanted to talk to you about your failure, if I wanted to talk to you about your divorce, if I wanted to talk to you about your issues with your kids, I would have. But all of those things are inconsequential to the purpose that I have for you. They will not keep you from what I have for you. If they could keep you from what I have, I would have talked to you about them. But I didn't mention them because they don't matter in the full vision of my purpose. Doesn't matter. But God, I... I saw Canaan, but there's giants. God, I, I see my purpose, but, but God, there's pain. God, I see what you have in front of me, but I see how much it's going to cost me to get there. If you're here today and you say, Rob, I'm raising the level today of how I see myself in Christ. If that's you, I want you to throw your hand up in the air and just say, that's me, man. I'm raising the level of how I see me today. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today that you're helping us see ourselves the way you see us. Sometimes we come home and just, God, if you could just, if I could just, you know, God, I don't want a lot. Just, just, just let me kind of, just let me kind of, maybe I could live on the outskirts. I don't even have to be on the inside of the house. I, maybe I could just live in the servants' quarters. God, I, I, and God says, no, you're, you are a son. Get the best robe. Get the ring. Get the new sandals for his feet. He's a son. And we're going to throw a party, and we're not going to throw a party in the barn. We're going to throw a party in the house. We're going to celebrate in the house because this is your house. This is your place. This is where you belong. God, we thank you that you see us the way you see us. Help us to see ourselves how you see us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.